0: Let us now turn to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And then let's also read from our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit, with the Father and the Son, is eternal God. Second, that he is given also to me, so that through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we have before us in Lord's Day 20 is a short Lord's Day on a huge topic. That is the Holy Spirit. And the importance of this subject is not measured by any means by the length of this uh, this question and answer before us tonight. Uh, But as far as our confession is concerned, uh, its importance is measured by the attention that is given to the Holy Spirit throughout the Heidelberg Catechism. And there are many, many places. In fact, the last two Lord's Days make reference to uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit from the Ascended and exalted Christ, and on and on we could go through the Heilberg Catechism and, and give many, many instances which teach us the crucial nature of the Holy Spirit's uh person and work. This Lord's Day uh introduces the third division of the Apostles' Creed. You know that the Apostles' Creed is divided according to the uh three persons of the Trinity God the Father and our creation and God the Son, and our redemption, and God the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. And so, uh, keeping that in mind, we also appreciate that uh, the subsequent Lord's Days uh, elaborate on the work of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that Christ uh, gathers and defends and preserves His church through His Word and Spirit. And the communion of the saints is a communion of the Holy Spirit who dwells within the saints. And the resurrection of the body is by the Holy Spirit. As we heard from Romans 8, verse 11, our mortal bodies will be raised by His Spirit who dwells in us. And so Lord's Day 20 is a is a very concise, but it's a packed summary. Uh, of the Holy Spirit's person and work, but at the heart of it, of this Lord's Day, and at the heart of our life and our worship and the teaching of the church, even as the Father and the Son are at the heart of our life and worship and teaching, so it is true with respect to the work of the Holy Spirit. And our theme really goes to the center of the Spirit's work for us. As we confess that the Holy Spirit makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. And that's our theme then for this evening from this uh, Lord's Day summary of the teaching of Scripture. And we want to begin by considering the glory of the Holy Spirit. The divine glory of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit with the Father and the Son, we confess, firstly, is eternal god again to go back to the outline of the of the of the apostles creed we confess our faith in the father and in the whole in the son and in the holy spirit the creed uses that very specific language i believe in the father i believe in the son i believe in the holy spirit the triune god is a special object of faith now, we believe also uh, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, but uh, these things we believe as true and is revealed in Scripture and of tremendous importance, but we don't believe in them in the sense that we place our trust in them for our salvation. No, we believe in God, and we believe in the triune God. And the Holy Spirit is the object of our faith and our trust, our worship and our love no less than is the Father and the Son because the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son is true and eternal God. We are baptized into the threefold name of the Spirit no less than that of the Father and the Son. And that also means that our worship and our love and our trust in the Holy Spirit, is not restricted to the benefits of His work within us. We worship the Spirit. We trust in Him. We love Him as He is co-creator of the world, whose power is manifested all about us as the one who is our provider. He is eternal God. Now, clearly our catechism is, is citing a one-incommunicable, unshareable attribute of God, but it could have said so much more to make the point that the Holy Spirit is true God. He could have it could have uh, confessed likewise, though it certainly is implied that He is uh, Almighty God, that He is omniscient; He knows all things. It's the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, unlike any created being. The knowledge of the Spirit is infinite. Everything that is true of the Father and the Son with respect to their divine nature is true of the Spirit likewise. And this, of course, uh, means also his divine personhood. in in distinction or in contradiction to any idea that the, the Spirit is some kind of impersonal force or power of God. No, the Holy Spirit is a divine person, no less than the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit wills. The Holy Spirit loves. The Holy Spirit speaks. There is intertrinitarian communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as divine persons together. The Word of God is divine speech. And it's the speech of the Holy Spirit. In fact, often uh, Scripture refers to uh, itself in terms of the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit spoke through David. You know, sometimes the same utterance is described in different ways. As God said, David said, the Holy Spirit said, emphasizing the divine nature of, uh, of revelation, even as human instrumentality was used. But the Word of God is the Word of the Holy Spirit. The communication of God's love to us. What really... Uh, makes the reality of God's love real to our hearts and our own experience is the work of the Holy Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The communion or sharing of the mind of Christ is likewise by the Spirit. And we mind the things of the Spirit, as we're commanded to do. And as the Scripture describes Christians as doing, we do not mind the things of the flesh, but we mind the things of the Spirit. And we do so by believing, increasingly understanding, and following what the Spirit has revealed in His Word. You see, that's where we find the mind of the Spirit. And it's by believing and receiving and understanding and living by that word that the mind of the Spirit also takes possession of our own thoughts increasingly. Now, there is this objective revelation of the mind of the Spirit in Scripture. But there is also the internal working of the Holy Spirit illuminating our understanding and impressing upon our hearts, enlightening our minds and our consciences, so that the objective written word of God finds entrance into our hearts and minds. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, Paul prays for the church of Ephesus that God would grant to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Now, that doesn't mean that he prayed that they would receive uh, extra-biblical revelation. But it means that he prayed that the Holy Spirit would give them illumination and understanding to receive the revelation of God in his word. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. A divine person who works within us. Listen to how Jesus tells his disciples of the Holy Spirit in verse... Uh, 14, or in, uh, in chapter 14. In verse 16, he says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And notice the name of the Spirit given here. A helper. Now you might know that that word here translated helper, is translated in various ways in different uh, versions of scripture, different translations of scripture. Some of us grew up with the description of the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. And that's basically a translation of the same, of the same word. Some, some translations will actually transliterate the Greek language and kind of make a new English word. The word paraclete is from parakletos. And it's an attempt to somehow uh, communicate the richness of this meaning of the word in the original language that, yes, involves comforter, that involves helper, that involves the idea of an advocate. Sometimes it's translated advocate. It's translated that way in our version with respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. It's the same word. We have a helper. We have a comforter. But an advocate is like one who comes alongside to provide help, assistance, to take one's uh, position, to plead their cause. And so it's an exceedingly rich word here that's translated helper. But these words that uh, are used to translate um, comforter, teacher, advocate, what do they do? They are all activities of a divine person who is near to us an active love providing crucial help to us and secondly in jesus description we notice that he is described as another helper he will give you that is the father will give you another helper and we must not skip over that word another because it makes us think well who is the first helper that jesus is talking about if there is another, well, there must be a first or an other helper. Who is that? Well, that's none left, no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to depart from them, he assures them that there is another helper who will carry on his work and who actually will carry it on in a heightened and in a closer way that is yet more marvelous than what they knew by the personal presence of Jesus with them up to this point. That's why he could say in the next chapter that, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And that leads us then secondly to consider the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not that we leave behind the, uh, the, the glory of the Holy Spirit, but we, we see His glory also in connection with the fact that He is given also to me. Now this is a kind of statement that really deserves an exclamation point. That this one who is eternal God, is given to me. And as we'll see, in a very close, in a very intimate, in a very personal way. And Jesus describes this gift, indeed, as a distinguishing grace. In verse 17, He, says, uh, he describes the Helper as the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. This is a distinguishing gift of sovereign grace in contrast to a world, a world who does not believe in the Spirit, who does not perceive in any real way the reality of the Spirit, His glorious person and His work. The identity and the work of the Holy Spirit is foreign, it is unknown, and it is unknowable to uh, unbelievers. Without that change that Jesus spoke of earlier on in this Gospel of John, in his conversation with Nicodemus, where he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot perceive it in its true character. It's reality. Unless one is born of the Spirit, born anew from above by this mighty work of the Holy Spirit, apart from that transforming work that imparts a spiritual nature and and understanding, the Spirit is unknown and unknowable, even as the Father and the Son are unknown and unknowable. Really? Really? So this is a distinguishing grace that the Lord Jesus Christ is describing. In contrast to the world, the disciples already know him. But you know him. How do they know him? Well, Jesus says, you know him for he dwells with you. And what does that mean? Well, remember that they had been with Jesus For three years, and they had beheld his glory as the God-man, as full of grace and truth. Some had already, at this point, had seen him transfigured before their eyes, with his face and his garments shining like the sun. They were given a display of the divine nature of this one with whom they had lived and walked and talked. And they had been given many demonstrations of His divine power and grace. And so they knew the Spirit as God because God was with them in the person of His Son. And to know Jesus truly with that spiritual perception that flesh and blood doesn't give is to know the Spirit as well as the Father, right? Jesus had told them, he who has seen me has seen the Father, the reality of the divine nature is revealed in Jesus Christ, and the divine nature is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that they understood all that, not at this point, but they knew the Spirit. And even uh, perhaps even of more significance in this context, in this setting, They knew the Holy Spirit as Emmanuel, God with them, but they knew the Holy Spirit also in the fullness of the Spirit's endowment of the human nature of Jesus Christ. Because the works that He did and the words that He spoke of the Father were also all under the anointing of the Holy Spirit whom He had received without measure and in a true human nature like their own. Jesus had been endowed fully with the Holy Spirit. And so as the disciples were in the presence of the Messiah performing these wonderful works, they were in the presence of the Holy Spirit's power in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit had been with them. And this gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus now speaks of would greatly deepen this knowledge that they already had. They would know the Holy Spirit and they would know Christ more, far more. God with us is going to become God in us. You know Him for He is, for He dwells with you. And will be in you. I will come to you, Jesus said. And that's really interesting. It's uh, basically in the same breath. You will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you. I will come to you. Now that's not a reference to Jesus' second coming. Indeed, the Lord Jesus will come again. Physically, literally. But here in the context, when Jesus says, I will come to you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit's work. And this shows us how closely the work of the Holy Spirit is to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a nearer and dearer coming of Christ himself. Well, how is that? Does that mean that the Son and the Spirit somehow merge into one person? Oh, no, no. But it pertains to the nature of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit effectively communicates the spiritual presence of Christ. Christ in us. That summarizes the mystery of the gospel in Paul's language. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You may have noticed in Romans 8 how the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are actually used interchangeably. Not that they're the same person, but at teaches the fact that the Holy Spirit's special work is to communicate the reality of the spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, to us. It's the special work of the Spirit to glorify Christ, to make Him known. And likewise we're assured that he is a forever gift. He will give out this helper to abide with you forever. And that means also that the Holy Spirit is not a temporary replacement for the personal presence of Christ. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ will return, literally, physically. Our eyes will see him. And according to 1 John 3, it is such a sight that will transform us into his glory. And we don't minimize the significance of that. But even then, our beholding of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in answer to his high priestly prayer. He said, I will that those whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, the beholding of the glory of Christ and the enjoyment of that everlasting glory will still be by the Holy Spirit within our hearts and our transformation into his perfect likeness will be by the Holy Spirit's work within us. The gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to abide with us forever, is the gift of God with us indeed. And the gift whereby the reality of Christ is made known to us in a marvelous way, which words fail to communicate. But that leads us to consider, thirdly, the grace of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we've already been considering this as well. And we've already been considering the fact that his work indeed centers on Christ. The Spirit is often called the Spirit of Christ. Again, reflecting the special nature of his work. He is given as the fruit of Christ's work. In fact, even even in uh, verse 16 where Jesus says, I will pray the Father And he will give you another comforter. There is a a close, inseparable connection between the priestly work of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is obtained by his priestly intercession, having accomplished his priestly sacrifice on our behalf. And his great work, the work of the Holy Spirit, is described in a very Christ-centered way, likewise in, uh, in uh, later on in this chapter, as the Holy Spirit will bring uh, things to the remembrance of the disciples, all things that I said to you, even more explicitly in verse 13 of chapter 16, he says, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now again, we have to appreciate that this has a, a special historical significance in terms of the work of the Spirit and the, the, the ministry of the apostles, even in the inspiration of scripture. When Jesus says the Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance, that is an important part of our understanding of the inspiration of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance things that Jesus said. And by His infallible direction enabled them to, to communicate that in writing without error. So that the product of their writing is truly God-breathed. It's the Word of the Spirit. And so it had special significance for them as those who were called to lay the foundation of the church by their infallible teaching. But that doesn't mean that this this work of the Holy Spirit in terms of communicating the truth concerning Jesus was limited to them. No, that belongs yet to the special work of the Holy Spirit as our teacher, so that what is written can be received and believed and understood, not by any natural ability that we have, not simply because the Word itself is perfect, but because the Holy Spirit works within us and illuminates our understanding so that the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is effectively made known to us through His Word. jesus is the way the truth and the life the spirit is the spirit of truth is that a different kind of truth no no the spirit of truth is the spirit who reveals the truth concerning jesus as the only way as the only one in whom there is life It's the Spirit who makes Christ known. And of course, this begins when the Spirit works faith in the heart. Remember again, earlier Lord's Day, where the question is asked, whence comes this faith, this true faith in the gospel? And the answer is that the Spirit works it in our heart through the preaching of the gospel. Coming to faith is a result of the Holy Spirit's enlightening, illuminating work, even as the Holy Spirit transforms the heart and makes a hard heart soft and receptive to the gospel. And this work of the Spirit continues as he sanctifies us by the truth. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Second Corinthians describes that uh, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. How? Well, it's in beholding the glory of God as revealed that we are transformed into his likeness from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who makes our uh, sermons about Jesus, effective to transform our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that makes your daily reading of Scripture powerful to deepen your faith and to transform your character more and more. He is the comforter, the teacher, the helper, our advocate. Jesus told his disciples that he would not leave them Orphans. Now when you think about that, there's a there's a whole lot there. He, he told them he was going to depart from them. And he assured them that he would not leave them orphans. Now think of the situation. Here's this 30, 32, 33-year-old young man, right? A man half my age. And there's a group of young men around him whom he has been with, whom he has been teaching. And now he's going away. And he says, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. (laughs) Isn't that a, a statement of his divine majesty? This young man is a father to them. His presence means that they are not orphans. If he left them alone, abandoned, they would be in that rather sad and pathetic condition of being orphans. Yes, we ought to pity Those without fathers and mothers. We're concerned about those whose fathers and mothers are absent. It's a sad condition. And the Bible describes Christian love and care as being uh, concerned with orphans and widows. But when you think about what Jesus is saying here, He is basically describing the condition of our lost humanity without Christ. If his absence from these men without another helper would mean they're left as orphans, that describes, that describes people who celebrate Father's Day today and who had, who had good and, and, and and loving fathers. But if they're without God as their father, in effect, they're like orphans. They're without God and without hope in this world. They're without without someone to speak words that are strong and that are true and that are loving and that address the reality of man's deepest need and in such a way that the truth enters their hearts and gives them real answers. For beyond this life, no, in effect, they're orphans. They have no one who is able to Care for their souls in such an effective way as to save them. They have no one to go with them into that dark night. They have no one to tuck them in, so to speak, when they enter that final sleep of death. Orphans. What a dreadful thing to be without the Savior, to be without God in this world. Whatever one's earthly condition. I will not leave you orphans, Jesus said to them. You see, the Spirit brings this Jesus, this everlasting Father, this great God, our Savior. He brings him near to us. And he is even a spirit of adoption, so dwelling within our hearts that we cry out, Abba, Father. We have this relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, giving us access to God with the confidence of children in our every need. We're not desolate, we're not abandoned, we're not alone, but we have a heavenly Father. The grace of the Holy Spirit. How do we show our faith in the Holy Spirit? Well, three things briefly. First of all, believe that you receive from the Holy Spirit what you can obtain nowhere or by no one else. And that is a sure knowledge, a sure knowledge of the truth, the truth as it is in Jesus. You know, our world despairs of even knowing the truth. You listen to people talk, and you 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 can you can pick up right away, if you're paying attention, that they really have no truth. They have their own opinions. They have their own ideas. They create their own reality. But they don't have truth. In fact, sadly, people feel threatened by any claim of the truth. They feel that any idea of objective, certain truth is a threat to their independence, their autonomy, their ability to think for themselves and do as they wish. But without the Holy Spirit, there is no certain conviction and love for the truth. Without the Holy Spirit, there is, no, there is no power over sin. There is no ultimate help in our struggle with temptation. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Yeah, the Christian life is a life of battling with sin. That battle will rage until we die. But without the Holy Spirit, it's a hopeless battle. In fact, people don't even really know what they're doing because they're simply fighting against one problem and replacing it with another. But it's by the Holy Spirit that we can make progress in our endeavors to live the Christian life because you can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no well-grounded assurance of salvation. And so we must believe that we receive from the Holy Spirit what we can obtain nowhere or by no one else. And that means what? Ask. Ask. And it shall be given to you. If earthly fathers who are evil give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So continue to ask. Continue to ask for the illuminating grace of the Spirit. Continue to ask for the inner strength that the Holy Spirit gives that can be found nowhere else and by no one else. Continue to ask for the grace of Christian service to live the Christian life. And God will continue to provide. So that's first. Second, believe that the Spirit works through the means of grace. The Holy Spirit works through the ways that God has appointed for the Spirit work. And this gets very basic and simple because it brings us right back to word and sacraments, right? It brings us right to church. Well, that's not the only way in which we uh, live by the word of God. But according to scripture, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments are the means whereby the Holy Spirit uh, strengthens faith in our hearts, right? He works it in our heart by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the sacraments. And so we persevere in our use of these sacraments in faith. We don't measure their effectiveness by our feelings, We don't measure their importance in the short term. But by faith, in the way that God works, we read his word. We go to church to hear it proclaimed. We use the sacraments. We come to the Lord's table. Or we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Because these are means whereby the Spirit reveals Christ to us. Who is our life. And then, thirdly, remember that the Holy Spirit is received by the hearing of faith. Now, this is a word that it continues to have relevance for us in connection with the previous point, but it has special relevance for those who do not have a personal saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul asks, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith, they received the Spirit when they were converted. Well, how were they converted? Through the works of the law? Did they clean themselves up? Did they obey sufficiently in order to earn the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, by the hearing of faith. By hearing the message of Jesus Christ. Who He is and what He does for lost Hopeless, helpless, guilty sinners who come to Him in their need and say, Lord, save me. Turn at my reproof and I'll pour out my Spirit upon you. Repent, Peter says, to people under conviction of sin and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's in receiving, believing the gospel that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the hearts of sinners. Now, that's of ongoing significance for us because we are refreshed by the Spirit's working. We are strengthened and renewed by the Spirit's working still by the hearing of faith. It's not like the hearing of faith gives us the Holy Spirit and then we carry on from there in our own steam. No, it's by hearing the gospel that God communicates the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. The grace of the Holy Spirit. The grace of conversion. The grace of sanctification. The grace of resurrection by that same Spirit who dwells with us forever. Who remains united with that corpse moldering in the grave. It's still His property. His possession. He will give life to that mortal body. The Spirit who will glorify the saints. When Christ Jesus returns, the Spirit who is true and eternal God, whom we worship and adore, in whom we trust, in whom we believe, from whom we seek and expect all these gifts, as we focus upon what the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen.